in Sudan, and I thought, what a, what a perfect fit to take Ephesians chapter 6 about spiritual warfare. You know, all the subjects we've been talking about have been spiritually based. You know, even, you know, the heavenly blessings we have, but we also have a spiritual war that's transpiring all around us. You know, the subject that Robert just took on, I, I, I believe, you know, there's a lot of spiritual warfare in those subjects as well. And I, I think, uh, you know, just our culture and, and just the direction our society's heading in, this, this is all deception and it's evil. And the enemy is wanting to just cause havoc in our world. And so uh, would you guys welcome Wes Bentley as he comes and shares with us the Word of God. Well, guys, uh, as we get prepared to get started here, I do want to share with you that uh, it's actually been a refreshing conference for me. Normally, when I travel, I'm normally teaching the whole conference, and so uh, today to be able to sit down and listen and glean, uh, I was actually very much edified, and uh, I would encourage you to get the CDs because I think there's a lot to go back over there. I want to share with you guys that uh, about 17 years ago, uh, God called me to the southern Sudan. Uh, formerly, I'd been a missionary in Russia. I used to work all across the former Soviet Union, and uh, I would travel from prison to prison preaching the gospel throughout the Russian prison system. But 17 years ago, uh, God led me to the southern Sudan to become a missionary. Uh, about 14 years ago, we became the official training arm for the South Sudanese Army of training all chaplains for the military. Now, Sudan has been in the longest running civil war in Africa, and in the last 60 years of the nation, there has been 37 years of what is called declared war. But in reality, of the last 60 years of the nation, there's been 50 years of fighting in that nation. And even during the peacetime that we've been going on, there's been fighting throughout the entire time of peace there. Uh, as a training of men to uh, go send them into battle is really a different type of a calling. Now, I want to share with you guys that uh, from the time that I was a child, uh, I knew that I was going to be a soldier. I know a lot of people find that interesting, but probably at about six years of age, I knew that I would be a soldier in my life. Uh, when I be, was in the 10th grade, uh, I lied about my age. I joined the Marine Corps and, uh, uh, and uh, volunteered for combat duty in Vietnam. Uh, the war got over before I could get over there, so I decided to get out of the Marine Corps and go to Rhodesia and become a soldier of fortune. Uh, that is modern-day Zimbabwe. Fortunately, before that happened, Jesus Christ got a hold of my life. I was a competitive shooter. I used to shoot competition for the military. Uh, my coach told me, he said, Wes, I think you can shoot the Olympics. Whether that is true or not, I don't know. It really does not matter. But that was what my coach thought. Uh, I was deployed to 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, which was an amphibious raid battalion. So I went through amphibious raider training. We trained at the Navy SEAL base and the Army uh, Ranger bases, plus our own bases. And so we were highly trained. But you know, when Christ got a hold of my life, guys, it literally revolutioned everything about me. Uh, it changed the music that I would listen to, the movies and the television that I would watch. It changed my politics. Because if it did not match up to the Word of God, I was not going to follow it. And I think that one of the things that we deal with in the body of Christ today is that many men really do not understand truly what true spiritual warfare is, and they don't really understand what it means to have a life that is completely set aside for the gospel. In our training base in the Sudan, we have a very intense training base because Many of our men that we send to the front lines are killed in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we rise our guys at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, from 5.30 to 6.30, we send them out on a 7 to 8 mile run. 
we bring them back. We have eight hours of class time and then two and a half hours of, of study time in the evening. We feed them two meals a day of beans and corn maize. Uh, we do not give them meat except about once every two weeks because once they're deployed, they're deployed to forward operations units within the South Sudan Army where they go into very heavy combat conditions. And we know that if we do not train them hard, they will not be able to handle it. My senior staff, we rise at 4.40 in the morning for prayer. I meet with the senior staff at 5 o'clock, and we spend the next two to three hours a day in prayer seven days a week. Now, many people might find that hard to believe, but guys, one of the things that we've realized is working in a war zone, if you do not prepare yourself spiritually, if you're not before the face of God, the enemy will win the battle. And one of the things is we're not going to allow the enemy to win the battle if we have anything to say about it. We're going to use the tools that God has given us for the purpose of the gospel, for the purpose of advancing the gospel. In my years of ministry of being in the Sudan and northern Uganda, uh, I have uh, led uh, two lieutenant generals, three brigadier generals, the vice president, a governor, and myriads of colonels and majors to Christ. I've stood before many presidents of nations, but one of the things that we're living in, we're living in a generation where Christians do not understand their role. They honestly do not understand what God created them for. We're living in a very effeminate nation among men, and I think we've really realized that through the last few messages here. But we're living in a time where men honestly do not understand the role that God created them for. A number of years ago, I went to Hawaii. I was invited there by two different Calvary chapels to preach two different messages there. I was doing two men's conferences on opposite weekends, one at one church, one weekend, one at the other church, the other weekend. We also had Sunday morning services, Sunday evening services, midweek Bible studies. But I'll never forget that during the middle of the week, we uh, left our hotel one day to go and get some lunch. And as I was walking out of the hotel, uh, there was a large mall there. And all of a sudden, I saw about six or seven guys coming out of this mall. And uh, they were carrying these little frilly bags that say, Dolce Gabbana, Louis Vuitton, Armani, Christian Dior. And they're all between the ages of about 21 and 27 years of age. They're all about probably six or seven of them there. And I looked over it and I go, Ed, to my assistant, I go, there is just something wrong with this. I said, when was it that men got so into fashion? When did they forget what they were created for? I mean, these guys are so stupid, they don't even know what men's jeans look like anymore. It looks like they went through their little sister's closet and put their little sister's jeans on, you know. But see, we're living in a generation where we are feminizing them. It is not the role that God created us for. God created men to be strong for a purpose. And guys, I'll share with you that I have learned that if you lead, men will follow. In the last 13 years of serving the Lord in South Sudan, 13 of my staff have been killed in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is all by bombs and bullets at the front lines serving the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that we need to understand as believers is that we have been given uh, a role model through men like Paul the Apostle to understand what true spiritual warfare is. And Paul talked a lot about spiritual warfare, folks. Matter of fact, Probably the book, second book of 2 Corinthians is my favorite book in the Bible because it gives me a roadmap of how to fight against the enemy. But in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the suffering that he went through. And at the timeline that he writes it, he's 11 years into his public ministry. He will have another 11 years before he's going to be martyred for his faith. And he tells us that in the first 11 years of his ministry, he says, five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from Gentiles, in danger from Jews, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and told and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all these other things, I face daily my pressure and my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? 
Paul tells us that in 11 years of public ministry that he's been beaten nine times severely, shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and a day in the ocean. He's been cold, he's been hungry, and he's been chased by just about everyone. And yet what Paul will say of his life, I count my life worth nothing if only I might finish the race which God had set before me. See, Paul's life was driven by the gospel. He had forsaken the things of this world. We live in a generation where we are trying to live the American dream. We were not created to live the American dream, life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. We were created for the cross. The last class that we teach our guys before they graduate is preparation for martyrdom. And I tell the guys, I said, guys, we're not all going to live to be 70, 80 years of age. Some of you men will fall in your 20s and some in your 30s. It is not how long you run, but how you run. So run with endurance the race that God has set before you. Some of you men are going to know the day you are going to die. You're going to be in a combat situation. You're going to look around and you're going to understand, I am not going to make it out of this. And when you do, you breathe Jesus Christ to the last breath. We do not train our men to be successful in ministry. We train them to die that Christ might live. We train them to be an example of Christ to the world. You know, so far often, folks, when we go before leaders of nations, uh, most people try to appease an, uh, a, a leader. I was with a senator a few years ago. She actually asked me to go over and be an escort with her. She was a nice woman, very much lost. But I noticed that as she was speaking to the president of Uganda, in every way it was a compliment, it was an appeasement, it was a way to try to make him like her, how beautiful his country was, how much she loved this, how much she loved that. During the conversation, the president brought up Christianity without any of us having brought it up. And he said, you know, my wife thinks that she's a born-again believer. And he goes, and I am not. She says that she thinks that Jesus is the only way to God and that uh, there's no other way to God. He goes, I don't agree with her. And out of a room of all of the people, he looks at me and he says, what do you think? And I said, Mr. President, I said, I think that your wife is 100% correct and you are 100% wrong. You could hear a pin drop in there. Nobody speaks back to the president of Uganda. All of a sudden, the ambassador looks at me like, what in God's name are you doing? The senator looks at me. There's some congressmen there that were there. They're like, Wes, what did you just do? And then all of a sudden he looked at me and goes, I'd like to speak with you in my personal office. I went into his personal office and for the next two hours, we shared Jesus Christ with this man. He heard the gospel. The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It means that if you become a friend of the world, you will be an enemy of the Lord. We're not here to make friends with the Lord. We are to be loving to people. We are to be compassionate for them. But in truth, we are to share the love of God. I appreciated the last message quite a bit, guys, because about a year and a half ago, God really spoke to me very directly about the issue of dealing with the issue of homosexuality within the church. What might surprise you is I began to deal with this issue. Almost every service that I spoke in, between one and five people who call themselves born-again believers would get up and walk out of the church because I spoke out against the sin of homosexuality. But I will share with you that in about the last year and a half, maybe a little bit more, I've had eight homosexual women come forward and give their lives to Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I share with these people, I say, guys, you can have the president of our nation. You can have the vice president of our nation. You can have the secretary of state. You can have the Clintons. You can have the Angelina Jolines and the Brad Pitts, the movie stars, the Hollywood populars, the rock stars tell you all that you are okay, which they do. But according to Romans chapter 1, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you may think these people love you, but we are warning you that if you live this lifestyle, the Bible says that you will perish. And it is the love of God that compels us to reach you with the truth. When you share 
God's word in love, you will find a greater reception. Now, there will also always be those that will be hostile for the gospel. But see, guys, the issue is not whether they're hostile or not. Our job is not to worry about it. Our job is to get into the spiritual battle. Living in a war zone, I have sent many of my men to their death. And I realize that with every class that I graduate, some of these men I will not see again. Many of the men that we train, we know that a year or two years from now, that they will sleep with the Lord. And we are determined to train them in righteousness to live a holy life before the Lord. But one of the things that I want to share with you guys that was uh, alluded to by some of the other pastors here is we're not seeing the great miracles of God in our nation. But one of the reasons we're not seeing it is because of the sin that's within the church, the compromise that is within the body of Christ. But in the Sudan, we are seeing great miracles. We have one chaplain by the name of Abdurman. Abdurman was a former Muslim. He has had six churches burned down. His pastor was killed. His best friend was killed. He's been in prison multiple times. He'd been, they tried to assassinate him several times. Uh, he was uh, beaten until he went blind for a season of life. Three months ago, he went out to a village to pray for a woman. When he got there, they wanted to serve him refreshment. He would refuse to take it. He goes, I will not take refreshment until I have done the work of God. He went to meet this woman who was blind and lost in sin. And as he talked to her about her sin and her need for repentance, he asked her, are you willing to fully surrender your life right now? And are you really willing to fully repent? She said, yes. Abdurman laid hands on her and prayed for her and her sight returned instantly. She had been a blind woman. See, God does work in miracles, but he needs to work through a holy church, a purified church. The Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ. Have you ever seen a bride on her wedding day come up to the podium in her slip with curlers in her hair and no makeup on? Of course not. A bride prepares itself for that wedding day. We as God's people are to be prepared for that day. We are to be prepared for the day that God calls us to meet him. We are to be actively engaged in the battle. We are to be a witness of Christ to the world. We are not to care about what man thinks. We are to care about what God thinks. We are not to fear man. We are to fear the Lord. The Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. The beginning of foolishness is to fear man above the Lord. See, one of the things that was happening here, guys, that what's happening is you're afraid of what you might lose. But as believers, we are already supposed to be lost in Christ. We are already supposed to be the place that we have forsaken everything for the gospel. I have already determined in my life that by the end of my life, I will lose everything. I will be sued. I will lose my home. I will lose whatever thing, savings I have. I will most likely be in jail. But I have already made that decision to do it because it is for the purpose of the gospel. I'm not to protect my interests. I am to serve the Lord and to trust the Lord to be my provider in these very difficult times. We are living in a time where we are going to be persecuted. It is coming. And by the way that many of you are voting, you are going to put your pastor in jail someday. You are voting for pro-homosexuals. You are voting for pro-gay rights. You are voting for things that are perversion. We as God's people are to know what we are voting for, but many people are so ignorant of it that I actually do not know what they're voting for. See, the Bible says that God wishes that we were hot or we were cold. But if we are lukewarm, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The reason the word of God teaches us that is because the lukewarm believer is the worst witness for the gospel there is. We are to be passionate for the Lord. You know, when I was, I just came from uh, the Sudan, I actually leave Monday to head back overseas. But I returned about seven weeks ago. I came home for basically a training time uh, of preparing for the coming war. And you know, guys, when I was over there, we flew into the Nuba Mountains. Our guys in the Nuba Mountains have been in constant combat for 17 going on 18 months. They've been at war. 
And when I got up there, it was very difficult for me. We flew in 9,000 pounds or four and a half metric tons of medical supplies to resupply our guys. I got in there and all these chaplains that had been at my base, all of them looked like they needed at least 25 good meals under their belt. You could tell they were hungry. You could tell that, that they did not go to sleep and rest easily because there was pain in their stomach. But one of the things that I loved about the guys when I was there is I saw no complaining. They were eating things that were not really considered to be foods, things that you would not eat unless you were in a situation of starvation. But what I saw with every single one of them is they were doing the work of the Lord. There was joy in their life. They were ministering the gospel because their food was not just the physical food, it was the spiritual food. And when there was no physical food, they fed on the word of God and God gave them the strength and the ability to do what he called them to do. We as God's people do not use the resources that God give us. About two years ago, I realized that my wife was most likely going to die. You know, it's strange because Vicki is probably one of the most healthy people by what she does that I know. Vicki weighs about 105 pounds. Uh, she's a vegetarian, not because she doesn't, uh, against eating meat, she just doesn't like the texture or the taste of it. And uh, she uh, has no cholesterol in her body. She walks miles every day. Vicki spends two to three hours a day in prayer. Uh, she uh, gets in the Word two to three hours a day, and she disciples upwards of a thousand women. And uh, Vicki does everything according that you should do. But you know, something began to happen in her body, guys, and we'd taken her to every doctor. We'd go into every type of natural therapy, every type of alternative therapy. I would pick her up, I would carry her up to my, our bedroom at night, I would put her in bed and she would sleep for 16 hours. She would get up and be awake for about three hours and have to go down for about another eight. And I began to realize, wait a minute, I have not done all that I can do. God has given me tools by which to do battle. And so what I realized is that I had not done the fasting that I needed to do. I decided to go on a 40-day fast for my wife. At the end of the 40-day fast, I was called to the Southern Sudan. One of the commanding generals of the Southern Sunni's army was getting married. I'd led him to Christ 14 years ago. And he called me on short notice and said, Wes, I want you to come over and be my best man. So I went over to Southern Sudan to be the best man of this commanding general. At the end of the wedding, Vicki came up to me the day that I was preparing to fly back. And she goes, honey, I need to say something to you. She goes, I am not well, but I am 80% better than I was 40 days ago. And it has lasted till this time. Guys, if I have to fast 40 days every year for my wife to keep her here, to protect her, to be a covering to her, this is what I'm going to do. God has given us tools to work with so often we do not understand that. One of the things that's so important to the believer that we need to understand is that God wants to use you. But so often why believers are not used in the Word of God is in, in life in general is because they don't know obedience. They do not obey the Lord. And I try to share hard facts with guys because I want to get men out of the slumber. I want to get them out of the place where they're not effective for the gospel. But you know, before I was a missionary to the Sudan, I was a missionary to the former Soviet Union. And I'll never forget, I had a young girl that was on about three of my teams, a very sweet Christian girl. Uh, she was, uh, she was uh, just, just had a real love for the Lord. You could just see it in her. And about after the third trip she went overseas with me, she said to me one day, she goes, Wes, I would like to talk to you. And when she said it, I didn't think much about it because people always want to talk about missions or giving or maybe becoming a missionary. And she said to me, she said, you know, if God would ever want me to be more than a sister to you someday, she goes, I would really like that. When she said that to me, guys, I was utterly stunned. And one, she was about nine years younger than me. She was a very small, very petite little thing, a very innocent and very pure life. She told me that she had never been with a man. She'd kept herself pure for that day. 
Her testimony was that she was into chocolate chip cookies and swing sets, and at the age of six, she decided to give up that reckless life of sin and turn her life over to Christ, you know. Um, she told me that she'd backslipped once in her life and smoked a cigarette, and I told her I was pretty sure we could move past that and go on with our relationship. When she first said this to me, I was so excited. I thought, Lord, what a gift, what a blessing. I can't believe this young, beautiful girl wants to be my wife. But you know, guys, I began to seek the Lord, and the Holy Spirit began to deal with me. And as I sought the Lord, I heard the voice of the Lord. And God said, Wes, I want you to say goodbye to her. And when the Lord said that to me, I said, you know, Lord, uh, I think that you're missing some of her finer qualities. And, uh, you know, if there's a problem with that cigarette, we should just forget about it and move on with this relationship. And the Lord said, I want you to say goodbye to her. You know, guys, in the years of being in Sudan, I've had 13 staff members killed. I have had, my compound has been bombed a dozen times by the Northern Army with aerial bombardment. I have been under fire from the enemy. We've killed over 100 poisonous snakes in our compound. I've run into a full-grown male lion in the bush. I've run into a 16-foot crocodile crossing the river. I am well-equipped to handle these things. Matter of fact, my guys say, Wes, you're extremely calm in a war situation. I know what to do. But you know, the day that I had to call that young girl and tell her I couldn't marry her was probably one of the most difficult days of my life. And one of the reasons was is because God had given me my marching orders and I could not fix it. As I shared with this young lady, I said, you know what? You're going to make someone a wonderful wife. I said, unfortunately, it is not going to be me. And I don't want you to think that I don't love you and I don't care about you because I do but I know the voice of the Lord. And for some reason, God has us going in diff different directions. She broke down and wept bitterly over the phone. I could not fix it, guys. There was a point I just had to say, I am sorry, and I had to hang up the phone. You know, six months later, God called me out of Russia to the, for to the southern Sudan. In the last 14 years that Far Reaching Ministries has existed, we are now in 13, preparing to go into our 14th nation. We have started seven Calvary Chapel Bible schools. We have five orphanages. For the first time in the history of the world, a foreign Christian organization has been allowed to become the official training arm for a foreign government of training all chaplains for their military. It has never happened before. We have Pastor Chuck Smith and many of the other Calvary pastors on radio and television in Kenya and Uganda. My wife disciples upwards sometimes of 1,400 women. She teaches seven to nine Bible studies a week. We are actively with uh, two underground Bible schools in China. We are in Iraq in the underground, and we're in many other closed countries. And yet, six months after I talked to this young girl, she called me on the phone, and she said, Wes, when you were a missionary to the Sudan, she goes, I would, or to Russia, I would have loved to have been your wife. She says, but I have to be completely honest with you. She goes, I could have never handled being your wife in southern Sudan. And guys, I think about the fact that I disobeyed the Lord and married that young girl, would I ever have known what I missed? And for many of us, what we don't understand is that God is calling his church to obedience. He's calling us to put on the full armor of God. I want to get into this for just a moment here in uh, Ephesians and talk about this for just a second here because I want to talk about how God works through the full armor of God. And it says here in uh, chapter 6, it says, in verse 10, it says, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, against the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted in the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit with the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And see, what Paul is talking to us about is that we are soldiers of the kingdom. We were created for battle. You guys were made strong for a purpose. The reason men have more muscle in the body, the way that we were created, we were created for battle. When King David was dying, he said to his son Solomon, he said, Solomon, be strong, therefore improve yourself to be a man. A part of being a man is being strong. It is a command from the Lord. We are to be strong to be the men of God. We are not to fear man, we are to fear the Lord. We are to have a holy reverence of the Lord. And when people talk about the fear of the Lord, they talk about it as a reverent thing. But guys, it's far more than a reverent thing. It is an also a fear of the Lord, an all-inspiring recognition that if you violate God's laws, there can be a great cost to your life and your eternity. We are to have a true fear of the Lord. We are to obey him. We are to love him. See, we are to have a passion for our God. We are not to love the things of this world. We are not to store our treasures on earth. Sometimes I'm so amazed at how people store their treasures on earth, you know, and so little is given to the kingdom. I was thinking about a number of years ago, I went to speak at Bob Coy's church in Fort Lauderdale. And guys, I had never been to Fort Lauderdale. Well, after the speaking, I took a drive down to the ocean to see it, wanted to see the East Coast, see the ocean out there, the Atlantic Ocean. When I got down there, I'd, I've never seen so many yachts in my life, you know. And we're not talking just $500,000 boats. We're talking about two, five, ten, twenty-five, fifty million dollar boats. I mean, they were just literally everywhere. But what struck me most was how there was a high rise there. And, and I mean, th these, these, these homes are million dollar homes, and there's probably 500 homes in each of these high rises. But I looked up at nighttime and you'd see two or three lights on in the entire high rise. And what I realized is people had bought these as vacation homes. These weren't even their own home. And yet they invested so much of their wealth in these things rather than in the wealth of the kingdom. We're not to store our treasures on earth. We're to store our treasures in eternal things. We are to look for those opportunities to help the kingdom. One of the most important things as believers is we should be tithers. We should be tithing to our home church. If you're not tithing, you're missing the great blessing of God. The first of our fruits should go to the Lord, not the last of our fruits. We should seek to please the Lord by how we live our lives, and we are losing that in many ways. You know, the Bible talks so much about this, and it tells us that, you know, we are to have that truth in us. We're not to be men that are liars. We're not to be men that, that misrepresent things. We are to tell the truth in love. And I love here when you read this here because he talks about this very firmly that, you know, he says, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. Guys, one of the things that you might be surprised about if you ever get into true ministry is that some of the greatest attacks really do not come from outside the church. Uh, outside the church. They come within the church. They come within the body of Christ. Our ministry has been under attack many times by people. Matter of fact, just yesterday, I had a guy come into my office. He was not a pastor, but I think he thinks of himself as a pastor. And there's a situation overseas where these two people want to get married. 
The problem is, is one of them is already married. And we've explained to them, wait a minute, this person is married. They are not free to marry. They want us to agree with them. And if we were to agree with them, there'd be perfect peace. And this is here at a church in America. I said, we will not back you. We will not bow down. We will not try to make peace with you. What you are doing is sin. And we will not support it. They go, well, we have fully investigated it. I go, you have not fully investigated it because we are the ones who exposed it and you've not talked to us at all. You have talked to the people in sin and you have made a determination. See, we're not to fear men. This person came in the office, very haughty, very arrogant, very much going to tell me what was supposed to be done. They left with their tail between their legs because I did not bow to them. I was not cruel, I was not mean, I was not arrogant, and I was not angry. But I shared the truth in love, and I said, I will not allow you to do this. If you do it, we will expose it because we're not going to be a part of it. But see, this is what's happening with the body of Christ. We're, af- we're being asked to, to compromise. And it's so much happening within the word, with the body of Christ today. It says here, and you're to be fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You know, guys, when we study the word of God, it prepares us for what's ahead. So often men are not prepared because they're not in the word. They don't understand it. We teach our guys to be in the word all of the time. One of my favorite things about being at the base in southern Sudan is that at nighttime, I take all my meals with my chaplains. I live just as they live. And when we go out there, we have a dining hall there where all of our senior staff come in to eat. And I'll come in, and of course, it's light in there, and it's dark outside, so they can't see me when I'm coming up there. But often when I come, well, really all the times when I come up, I hear them talking about the Bible studies that they were in today, how they heard Pastor Joe Foch uh, share on their iPod, or how they heard Pastor Chuck Smith or some other Calvary pastor. Their entire life, their entire being, their entire fellowship is centered around Jesus Christ. It is not sports. It is not hunting. It is not fishing. It is not the leisures of this world. Their entire fellowship is centered around Christ. As a man of God, especially if you're married and you have children, you need to be in the Word of God to lead your family. You need to be prepared because then you'll be ready for the opportunities that come to you. The Bible says that we're not to worry about what we're going to say in these situations, for in that time, God will tell us what to say. But that's when you're in the Word of God. That's when you're in prayer. That's when you're seeking. If you're not, you will be caught off guard. You will not be prepared to give every man an answer. But when you are in the Word of God, when you're seeking, you will find it. At my office in America, when I'm here, on Tuesday nights, my senior staff, my staff goes home. At about 5 o'clock, the office begins to shut down. By 5.30, everybody's gone. Normally, I'm there till 12 or 1 or 1.30 in the morning. I spend that time in the Word. I get out my commentaries, I get out my iPod, and if you don't know how to train yourself, get an iPod. There's so many good speakers that you can put on it, and you just go through the Word with them. You will begin to grow in your Word. I cannot tell you how many times the Lord has spoken to me through the Word and given me something on that day that someone would bring up, and they can't even believe that I know it, the Scripture, because God spoke to me that day. I'll never forget a couple years ago. God had done a major work in my life a number of years ago, guys. And I wanted to get on a plane and I wanted to go back to America. And uh, I came down with malaria. And the years of uh, being in Sudan, I've had malaria 11 times, uh, typhoid fever seven times, uh, uh, food poisoning. And I've almost, I've been in ICU three times where it's almost killed me. But I'll never forget that one of the times I really wanted to go back to America. And the Lord very specifically told me, Wes, do not get on that airplane. Do not go back to America. And I obeyed the Lord. Well, guys, during the next two weeks that I was there, I would meet a gentleman that would, over the next seven years of our ministry, would donate a million and a half dollars to the ministry. 
Had I got on the airplane, that blessing would have never come. So, so often what God's speaking to you, he's trying to bless you. But I'll never forget the verse that God used to me was in the book of Colossians. It was the second to last verse of Colossians. And as I was reading it, because God told me to read the book of Colossians, I got down to it, it says, tell Archippus to finish the work for which God had sent him to do. And I knew that I was not supposed to be, leave the country. While I was talking to a brother, this is last year sometime, he goes, you know, I was reading this verse in, in the last, second to last verse in Colossians, and I go, tell Archippus to finish the work for which the, God, the Lord had sent him to do. And he literally looked at me like, this guy's got the whole Bible memorized, you know. So it gave me a little bit of a credibility with him and sharing Christ into his life. But God does do things like this. One of the things that I've seen with people is that men of God can do great feats for the Lord, but if, they do, if they're not able to extinguish the arrows of the enemy, they become ineffective. I think one of the greatest uh, uh, examples was, in, uh, was Elijah. If you remember when Elijah killed the 450 prophets of Baal, you know, he, he has this great victory where, you know, he has them to prepare an, uh, an, an ox and they call on their God and he calls on his God. And they call on their God all day and their God never shows up. And then uh, Elijah calls on his God and his God shows up. And uh, he burns up the altar and then Elijah has the 450 prophets of Baal slain. Now he just killed the 450 prophets of Baal. And right after that, Jezebel says, if you, I don't make you like but one of those, one of my prophets you kill by tomorrow, then may, may I be like one of them. And all of a sudden, he becomes fearful. He goes on the run. I mean, he just slaughtered all of these people that were the enemies of God. And this woman who's a little squeak, it's like a mouse just going, squeak, squeak, you know, that, he becomes fearful and he goes on the run. And this is so what happens because the enemy fires a dart and you think that it's going to destroy you. Rather than one of the things that I've really learned in ministry, guys, is when you get, come under attack of the enemy, do not respond immediately. We don't need to respond when they ask us to respond to them. You stop, you slow down, you pray, you seek the Lord. And sometimes God will just say, remain silent and stand. I've learned trying to defend yourself can be one of the worst things you can do. What I've told my staff is, guys, we are not going to go out there and fight these battles every time they come up because the enemy will keep us doing this the rest of our life. We will never able to be able to do the work. What I'm telling you guys, you do the work of God and you let the fruit speak for itself. But you know, one of the amazing things about Elijah and I want to read you this portion of scripture here in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, and it says in uh, uh, verse, uh, or chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you your life like that as one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep. All at once the angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and, he, and a jar of water. He ate, drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back in second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the horror of the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, guys, just by, I, I just wondered what the sound of God's verse was, voice was here. Elijah, what are you doing here? You're my prophet. I have put my spirit within you. I've given you all the power of the word of God. 
and yet you're running from this woman. And Elijah says, and it was his cue probably to keep his mouth shut, but he said, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altar, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a still, small, quiet voice or a gentle whisper. See, there are times that we just need to slow down and say, Lord, the enemy is coming against me. What would you have me to do? And often God will just say, just stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. See, guys, the enemy is great about firing fiery darts, about discouraging them. We had a young lady that left our ministry a number of years ago. And guys, I'll never forget, probably a few months after she was gone, maybe six, we got a letter from her. And the letter basically said, I'm sick and tired of this. I, it's time for the truth to come out. You guys are not going to talk bad about me anymore. We're going to bring all the parties together. It's going to be discussed, and the truth will be known. Well, I had to call this person on the phone to talk to them and ask what she was talking about. See, what happened is Satan had fired a fiery dart. She left. She felt insecure. Satan said, they're speaking about you. She just took it and ran with it. We'd never said a word about her. Matter of fact, I said, sis, we've not had one conversation with any person about you since you left. And the truth of the matter is she'd been in the hospital. She'd caught cancer, and she was extremely ill. My wife had gone down and paid her bill without her knowing about it. See, the enemy threw a fiery dart, but she wasn't able to extinguish it because she allowed the enemy to do it. That's why we're to put up that shield to block those fiery darts to be prepared for the battle. In working in the Southern Sudan, I'll never forget when the first person was killed in my ministry. You know, guys, we had a, a, a gentleman by the name of Augustine. And I think that God let him know that he was going home to be with the Lord too because we had a major attack by rebels in the north. And Augustine went up there because he wanted to help the people. But while he was up there, he began to tell the people on our staff, in a little while, you are not going to see me anymore. And people would say, Augustine, what do you mean by that? He goes, I'm just telling you in a little while, you're not going to see me anymore. He was up there for about 30 days of ministry, and uh, he was coming back when they were intercepted by an LRA patrol. It's called Lord's Resistance Army. The first thing that they knew was that an RPG was fired at their vehicle, a rocket propeller grenade. Now, it missed the vehicle, but the hell of gunfire that came after it did not miss its mark. There were probably somewhere between 11 and 13 people I don't remember anymore in the vehicle. Augustine took three rounds to the chest, and he fell over on a guy, and the guy fell on the ground, and he was hit, but he was not killed, and blood just went all over him. When the rebels came up, they were taking all the things out of the vehicle, and they got to this one guy. They are going to take his clothes off of him, uh, but if they had taken his clothes off of him, they would have known that he was dead. And, uh, but they looked at him, and they said, there's all this blood on him. For, forget the blood, you know, uh, for, forget it, just leave it. And they set the vehicle on fire, which he began to burn a while before they left. And they said that, you know, uh, but Augustine, you know, I, I remember when he fell, it was traumatic to me. He left behind a wife. He left behind five children. And I'll never forget what the Lord said to me. Wes, this will be the first of many. Do not grow weary in well-doing. You know, one of the things that I tell people, God gives us our marching orders. We're not to fear man. We are to fear God. You know, when Jeremiah went through his hard time in ministry, and one of the things I thought was so interesting about Augustine was how his, he did not only just model Christ in life, but he modeled Christ in death. 
But you know, we, we, we are not to fear him. I think about when Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was going through his hard time, and God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah. And he says, Jeremiah, you know, because Jeremiah's complaining about all the hardship that God, that was coming into his life. He goes, if the foot soldiers have wearied you, how are you going to handle mounted horsemen? And what he's saying to the prophet Jeremiah, he's saying, Jeremiah, if these guys, which are on foot with swords, are making you tired, how are you going to handle it when the heavy cavalry comes? And see, that's what God says to a church. See, so often we baby each other. But you know, in the Sudan guys, I can't baby the guys. I love them. I care for them. But sometimes when guys aren't doing their job, you just have to tell them to buck up. I've learned something about men in combat. Often when the enemy attacks, men will come and, and, and they'll go to their post, they'll grab their weapon, they prepare to engage the enemy. But there's a certain group of men that whenever the fighting starts, they get in that fighting hole, they put that gun between their arm and their legs, and they just begin to shake. And I've learned that you do one of two things at that time. You walk up and you look down at them and you say, are you coming? And if they don't respond, you say, bye. Why? Because if the enemy breaches the lines, he will murder, he will kill, and he will destroy. Guys, I have a DVD I want to show you guys, and then we'll just take a moment to close. When I was called to the Sudan 17 years ago, and then three years after that, God told me to start the chaplaincy. People told me I was a fool. Almost every pastor said, it's not possible. Can't be done. You're, you're out of, outside of God's will. I'll let you guys make the determination that you think if God did something. Guys, let's go ahead and show that. share with you guys that Jesus doesn't want 75% of you. He doesn't want 80. He doesn't want 95. He doesn't want 98% of you. With Christ, it is literally all or nothing. As his people, we are to be surrendered. Our lives are to be wholly given to the Lord. We are to love the Lord with such a passion that it just drives our life. To have a, a, a love for the lost, a concern for those that are perishing. And this is what the true Christian walk is about. But we're living in a generation where men really do not understand anymore. They do not understand what God created them for. You know, guys, there has to be a defining moment in your life, a defining moment in time that truly defines who you are as a believer. And we are not to compromise with the world. But most of us don't have that. I always tell people I have a part of my relationship with the Lord that I think that most Christian men are missing. I do have the part that most men have where he is my father and I'm him his son, and, and I'm his son, and that's very special to me. The part that I have that I feel like that most men are missing, though, is that he is my commanding officer, and I am his lieutenant. And when he gives me orders, I am to obey them unconditionally. I am not to compromise. I just want to talk to you guys for just a moment here, because I know that many of you guys out there, you have given your life to the Lord. Probably not too many people in here who are not born again. You see, God doesn't want you hot, or he doesn't want you cold, he wants you hot. If you're lukewarm, he says, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. Because the lukewarm believer is the worst witness for the gospel there is. It tells the world that we can live in compromise and homosexuals can get married. Such things as this, which God says is an abomination. This afternoon, I want to give you the opportunity. I know that most of you are probably born again. 
But there should be a point in life that our life is truly defined, where we say no more compromise. No more will I serve the things of this world. No more will I live a slight walk with the Lord. But at this point, from this day forward, I surrender all. Guys, persecution is going to come to our nation. And you are going to be persecuted if you choose to do this. But see, it has to be a defining moment. Most often, when I give altar calls at churches, and this is a sad situation, the first 20 that come forward are always women. It should not be this way. We are called to lead. We are called to be men of God. We are called to take on that spiritual mantle and stand against wickedness. This afternoon, I want to give you a chance. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you are not a believer. It really doesn't matter. But this afternoon, if this is the life that you want, and you want us to pray for you, we want to do that. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't want 90%. It's all for me now. I want to be prayed for. I want God to strengthen me. I don't allow people to close their eyes and bow their heads and come forward. And there's nothing wrong with it, guys, but I know that if you cannot stand in a room full of people who care about you, you will never handle it when persecution comes. So this afternoon, with every eye open and everybody looking at you, if this is the life that you want, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your chairs and come down, and we're going to pray that God would empower you. If you want to, just come on down. Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And that means that we make proper decisions to obey and to follow Christ with all of our heart. Guys, I want you to think for a moment, what has it been that's kept you from a, a life that's fully surrendered? And as we say this prayer, I'm going to ask you just to put it on the altar with the Lord. For some of you, as we know, it's pornography. I want to share with you guys that we're living where we just need to be direct with people. If you have Showtime, HBO, Cinemax in your home, you're in sin. You're compromising. You're bringing stuff in that your children and your wife, you're feeding them from the devil. And you need to get it out. It is not the wife who leads the family. She may not even like it when you do it, but you need to get out of your home. We need to surrender all that Christ might dwell in us. See, for me... It has never been about fame or fortune or being recognized by the body of Christ. Those things mean very, very little to me. What it has been about is knowing that one day I will stand in the presence of a holy God. And I want to look into his eyes and I want to hear him say, well done, son. Well done. I wrote in our February newsletter that number 13 of our chaplain had been killed in the service of our God. We did not know who he was at the time or what unit he was from. We, we thought we did, but we did not. I learned on my last trip, we did finally found out his name. His name was Daniel. The last three days of Daniel's life, they were going into the biggest offensive of this year, the biggest battle of the entire year with the South against the North. Daniel knew that many men were going to fall into the arms of Christ or into the arms of Satan, either way. So the last three year, days of his life, he was praying and fasting for his men. 
before he was killed. What will be the last three days of your life? Will you be found wanting? Or will your life be hitting the mark? God wants us to hit the mark. He wants us to run with everything we have. We are not to be ashamed of the Lord. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. But if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. It is time for us to put on the armor of God and get into the battle. See, I can tell you how to fight, but unless you pull that sword out of the sheath, you will never, ever be effective for the kingdom. We are to get into the battle. Guys, I'm going to say a prayer right now, and I'm going to ask you guys to all pray this prayer out loud. It's, it's important that we make a public profession to the Lord. But as we pray this prayer, whatever it is that has been the thing that's caused you to compromise in your walk with the Lord, just put it on the altar and give it to the Lord and never take it up again. You can do that. God will give you the power. He will strengthen you. You can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I'm going to say a prayer for both the non-believer and the believer because somebody out here may be giving their life to Christ for the first time, so we're going to wrap them together. I'm going to just ask you to bow your heads and just repeat after me. Father, I just confess that